Well, in my head, I'm just thinking be more hippo-like. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hello everybody and welcome to Scattered. This is a special edition live from West Africa. Uh, I am Helen and I have Jill and special guest Judith with me today. (laughs) Mary and Julia are having a week off and we are looking at Ezra 7 and 8. So 60 years have elapsed since the rebuilding work of earlier chapters and it's been a peaceful 60 years in the Persian kingdom which has meant 60 years of peace for the exiles that have returned. There has been a moment of crisis for the Jews which we hear about in the book of Esther but this was averted by the bravery of Queen Esther and so life has continued for the people of God. But as so often happens this peace has led to comfort and a half-hearted spirituality has crept in. We finally meet Ezra in chapter 7, which is similar in lots of ways to chapter 1. But why don't we start off talking about how the role of Ezra differs from that of Zerubbabel. Great. Um, thanks, Judith. Um, the, um, yeah, Zerubbabel in the first section up to now has been called by God to go back and rebuild the altar to start with and then the temple. And so at the end of the last chapter, we saw the temple was dedicated and that building work was complete. But as 60 years have elapsed, that time's not been um, a time of good, wholehearted worship. And so God calls Ezra, who is still um, in Babylon, to go back and to make sure that the word is at the centre of the worship of the people of God. So, um, yeah, it, it appears that people have been going to the temple but the word has not been central to what they've been doing. And so Zerubbabel was a builder and Ezra is a teacher. Okay, so these first 10 verses are a summary of the next two chapters. What do we learn about Ezra here? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Like we're seven chapters in and we finally meet the man that we've been waiting to meet. Uh, he, We learn in this first little section of chapter seven that he is descended from Aaron, that... Um, he the length of his genealogy the lengths that the author goes to explaining his genealogy shows us that he's a man of quite a lot of importance Uh, he's a priest he is a scribe skilled in the law he is in some ways the ideal priest um, to lead God's people in worship and to lead them in in holiness the thing that's remarkable is he's all these things whilst he's in Babylon so he's not returned with that first group. He's still in Babylon. And somebody, something that I read described him as a little bit like a government official. Maybe we'd call him the Secretary of State for Jewish Affairs. So the fact that he is a priest who's devoted and studying the scriptures whilst he's in Babylon is very different to both the people that are back um, in Jerusalem and the people around him. So I think that's one of the things that marks him out. Yeah, we learn, don't we, in verse 10 and um, and actually in verse 11 as well, that Ezra studied um, the law of the Lord, but he also did the law of the Lord. So he says in verse 10, he had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, but then he went and taught it. So he's not just somebody who uh, just studies it and then is like, this is really good information to know. He's somebody who studies it, absorbs it, and then transmits it to other people to help them, to guide them, 
to live a holy life, a, a life pleasing to, to God. One of the um, things I read explained that first word of study as a little bit like ponder or meditate. And so he allows the word to really impact his own heart before, and that is um, shown in the way he does it before he teaches. Um, and the challenge on this, one of the sermons I listened to was we're not very good in our very busy culture of allowing God's word to, to ponder God's word and to allow it to um, change us. And one of the suggestions was when we're doing things that are don't require our full attention, let's say, so whether that's driving, washing up, um, are we people that have scriptures that we allow to um, ruminate and that we mull on? We saw some hippos this week. Did I mention that we're in Africa? Um, and TP was explaining to us that, that's Helen's husband, um, they spend all night on the land chewing the grass, well, um, eating grass, and then they spend all day in the water chewing the cud. And I guess that's a little picture of what Ezra was like. He was somebody that had the word of God constantly in his mind and he was like mulling it over, thinking about what it meant, how it would change him. Um, and that's what made him such a great um, person. Yeah, because he, you know, it's clear, isn't it, that the the word of the Lord has had an impact on him. I don't imagine that he was this kind of person naturally but he just has this sort of we seem throughout the chapters we begin to get a picture of the fact that his he's got real authority why because he ruminates on the lord's on the law of the lord because he thinks about it a lot he applies it to his life and i read something uh, that said that authority only really comes when there is consistency between their talk and their walk and that's who Ezra was. He was authoritative and able to do what he does in these chapters because he he doesn't only say, oh, you know, he doesn't only like quote scriptures at people, but he actually lives them out and demonstrates to people. This is the way that God desires us to, um, to live. But another thing I read said that actually this is a, a big pointing towards Jesus because Jesus was somebody who... Um, who taught with authority that's what the scribes said about him wasn't it when they often would marvel after he'd said something and and say behold here is somebody with authority because Jesus being the word himself not only knew the scriptures but demonstrated them perfectly through his life the other important thing I think about why it was so important that God's people didn't just have a temple to attend on a Sunday but that the worship was really rooted in the scriptures of the Old Testament was that 400 years later Jesus would come and they needed to be able to recognize him as the Messiah and so it was really important in the big picture of the Bible for there to be um, a man that God uses to put the word of God back at the center of the worship of God's people so that when Jesus came they could recognize oh this is the one that the scriptures have told us about. So, yeah, I think Ezra points to Jesus, but as well, he helps people understand that the Old Testament points to Jesus too. Well, in my head, I'm just thinking be more hippolyte. In this chapter, we read a letter written by King Artaxerxes, where we hear about Ezra's role, the king's role, and the role of the Lord God of Israel. What roles do these three characters play, and how can that help us live faithful Christian lives in a situation not unlike Babylon? Um, I was really struck that the the way that Ezra's described 
all through this section. The most common um, description of him is Ezra is a man who the hand of the Lord is upon. And so we've just bigged up Ezra studying God's word, Ezra being the instrument that God uses to bring renewal. But I think it's really clear in this chapter that God, he's, yeah, he's an instrument in God's hands. Um, and so even though Ezra does great things in calling people back to Jerusalem, a second wave of people back to Jerusalem, and then when he's there, it really establishes the word, it's God that's working through Ezra. So yeah, Ezra is a key mover and shaker, but I guess in his own strength, he's just a high ranking official in Babylon, but it's God that works through him to do his work. And um, I guess that's challenging for us, isn't it? Because I know for me, in my independent, on my independent days, I'm busy in my own strength, achieving good things for God. But on the days when I'm really effective, it's God that's at work through me. And yeah, that's, it's really important, isn't it, that we get that right? Yeah. And on top of that, you know, you were talking about the king, um, Artaxerxes and God. It, there's a lot of echoes in this section um, between, from uh, Sirius and Darius's sort of letters and authorities and decrees. Uh, and again, you see, we talked about last week, we talked about how the king is doing this thing. And yet it was God you know, back um, at the beginning of Ezra, it was God who stirred the spirit of Cyrus to send um, the Israelites back to Jerusalem. And again, here in this section, we see um, Ezra saying in verse 27, praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord. So again, King Artaxerxes is, is looking really good here, but actually it is the Lord's spirit that is at work once again. So he's working, God's role in it all is working in the background and using the various human parts of the story to, to bring about what he desires. I was really struck being a good Anglican um, how we um, were encouraged, aren't we, to pray for leaders and that, well, it is in the New Testament as well, um, that we are encouraged to pray for leaders and those in authority over us. And I just thought this is a really good example when we feel like, oh, what's the point? Because they're not Christians. Neither was Artaxerxes. You know, he he listened to Ezra. He saw, he maybe had some fear of God or he was politically motivated to appease the gods and any God he heard about but he wasn't a converted man. And yet God through Ezra, or in our case now, through the prayers of his people can influence those rulers and people in authority over us that aren't Christians. And so it really encouraged me that we can be praying for our rulers. Um, and the king, as he's crowned in the next, I guess you might be listening to this after that, but um, yeah, or the prime minister or whoever is the leader in your country because God uses those prayers to um, change events like we see here. And he was really changed. And I guess the other thing was the bravery of um, Ezra. It talks, doesn't it, at the end of this chapter about the courage it took Ezra to present these things to the king and to ask the king and to make his petition to the king. Um, so, yeah, there's a call to bravery, isn't there? But there's also a call to confidence that God works in leaders that don't even know him. Yeah, and I, I think um, in verse 28 that because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders. Like I don't think that Ezra could necessarily have had that knowledge without being a man of 
but who was close to God through his word, through that rumination. And, and I think the closer we are to God, the more we know him, the more we know um, truth about him, uh, the closer our relationship with him, the more courage we can take to live godly lives, to, to do things that require courage. It's when we feel further, furthest from God, I think, is when we sometimes feel the most afraid. Um, and sometimes we just need to take that step towards him in order to um, get courage from him and not rely on our feeble feebleness. Amazing. Chapter eight then describes in more detail the journey back to Jerusalem. It, it outlines lots of challenges that Ezra encounters on the way. Why don't you talk through some of these challenges and what each one teaches us about living by faith? I think the first challenge that Ezra um, comes against in those first um, 14 verses is just how disappointed he must have been by the numbers that um, returned. So in the first wave of return at the beginning of the book, 42,000 Israelites answered the call and one of the sermons I listened to said it, they'd, you know, they would be at the synagogue still in Babylon. There would be a place of worship, and Ezra or somebody would read out this letter from the king saying, "Hey guys, we can go home. We've got another lot of permission to go back and to go back to Jerusalem." And in that, in you know, maybe not that same worship service, but in worship services, they would sing psalms like 137 that says what an awful thing it is to forget Jerusalem and that Jerusalem is the place of your highest joy. But on that particular day, when that was read out, most of them would just slink out and think, oh, I'm really happy here. I like it in Babylon. And so I think the first challenge for Ezra was just that there was only 15,000 that replied out of a a whole multitude in Babylon. Um, So I, I guess that must have been pretty discouraging for him. Yeah, as you were talking, Jill, I was thinking about um, us here on the field. Like We have come to the field. There's a lot of encouraging things and a lot of encouraging people, but there are also some things that we have found to do with God's people that are really discouraging. And as you were speaking, I was thinking, actually, we need to trust God in all of that because his hand is on all of them. And... Um, yeah, it, it, it things can be disappointing and they can be hard, but we can still trust that God is at work. Um, it's not ruined his plans. And actually, our response should probably be to, again, move closer to him, trust him, um, point other people to Jesus, point other people to God's word. Yeah, but it's a really hard balance, isn't it? Because we, we can't change other people's hearts and that's hard when we want to I think that's the thing that struck me was that actually it's not necessarily we can have influence but ultimately it's God who's gonna gonna change things isn't it so it's an encouragement even as it's a rebuke to me about my attitude towards certain disappointments But I guess then in the next section, from verse 16 onwards, um, Ezra realises, so he does accept that there's a smaller number than he might like. Um, And the other interesting thing actually was that the families that did come almost exactly were the same from the same families that came the first time. 
So it's the same people that are interested in returning. And so he Ezra makes his peace with that, doesn't he? But when he realizes um that there are no Levites um within the group, he has a different response. He doesn't just roll over and accept that, but he sends um leading men and community leaders. So that would be diplomats or heads of families back to plead with Levites to come. The Levites were the special people whose job it was to be in charge of the temple. And I, I guess we gather from this that they were enjoying the freedom from that um, because there was no temple in Babylon. And so they weren't involved in that part of their work. And so they didn't want to come. But yeah, it's interesting, the contrast with the small numbers Ezra just accepts it, but with the Levites, he's very deliberate in sending people back to try and persuade them to come, because I guess he knows that that's really important for temple worship in Jerusalem. Yeah, just to, I was just going to emphasize that quickly that, you know, we'll see, we'll talk about it in a second, how actually Ezra demonstrates great faith, doesn't he, at various times, but this is one time where he says, actually, no, this isn't right. And something needs to be done about this for right worship to happen rather than just being like, oh, well, if God had wanted the Levites to be with us, he would have provided them. Um, he takes he delays them, doesn't he? Delays the return to Jerusalem to make sure that right worship can happen once they get there. Yeah, but he's also really good and clear, isn't he? In verse 18, that it's because the good hand of God was on the men that he sent that they brought gifted people back who were prepared to go so yeah I was just really interested in that how it's not a one size fits all is it sometimes we just wait and other times we're active yeah I think this this whole section is really interesting we see in a minute um where he says uh, in verse 22 I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him but his great anger is against all who forsake him you know Ezra turns down the opportunity to have protection and yet yeah he demonstrates both sides doesn't he like both faith and action I read some like listened to some really interesting sermons one of the preachers said asked what is the proper role of faith in the Christian life and are we more faith-filled if we wait for God to do the extraordinary or are we foolish if we do not use the means provided to us and I think this the chapter eight shows us that actually it's both <laughs> it's both and that there's no real answers you know does God want us to take our circumstances into account or does he want us to forge ahead trusting him to provide and the answer really is a mixture of the two um and we have to work that out as yeah we have to work that out with him we're not he doesn't abandon us to those decisions um he 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 works through people he works through his word you know just lots of different ways yeah and what's really fascinating here is there's a dangerous journey ahead of them it's a long way um and they've got a lot of valuable things to take back because the king's been so generous in giving them gold and um, things for the temple. Um, but Ezra chooses not to ask the king for an armed guard, essentially. But yet we see in the next um, part of the story, Nehemiah, Nehemiah does accept an armed guard. So it's not that um, Nehemiah was a coward and Ezra was brave, but that both of those men in good conscience before God made different decisions and I guess the question that we need to ask ourselves isn't it often is what does faith look like here 
is does yeah does it is my heart exercising faith or fear um through whichever and in this instance um Ezra acted from faith and um we see in verse 21 that he proclaimed a fast he humbled himself and he prayed really hard for the journey because he was really honest about the dangers as well um yeah Helen I know you read something really helpful about that yeah there was excuse me it was um someone that I read said if you're going to take a course of action that eschews uh, so sort of lays aside the the use of ordinary means. So, you know, Ezra laid aside the opportunity to take an armed guard with them. Then you must be ready to petition God with extraordinary prayer. Um, but I was just, he, he also said that God provides through human agency, planning and hard work, and that Ezra didn't see faith as being directly opposed to wise planning. I think we've got a really good illustration of that, how we like rules and structure from um, Judith and I last week in West Africa. Judith had a few struggles with, let's say, the rules of the road here. Do you want to talk to us about that, Judith? I would love to. The driving here is illogical. One rule is you can sometimes stop at the red light and you can sometimes just drive right through it. Uh, one rule is that your side drives through the red light, but the other side stops. Uh, you can stop on a roundabout. You can stop on the side of the road. You can just do whatever you want. So the rule is just do whatever you want and expect everyone else to do whatever you want. And that's quite hard for me, who likes uh, to stop at a red light because it's red and who likes to go at a green light because it's green and who doesn't like to stop on a roundabout because then someone's going to come into the back of you. So, yes, I'm struggling with the, the rules of driving here in West Africa. Oh, I, and I know that's a funny story, but I guess it, and it's very funny being in the car with her. But I guess in some ways that is a picture of the um, life of faith, isn't it? That um, it, there's not always a one size fits all and walking closely with God um, helps us to know when we need to be brave and take risks and when actually he wants us to use the ordinary means around us to stop at the red light. I just wanted to go back a little bit and talk about what you were saying, Jill, about um, fear. I think it's a really good question to ask ourselves as we're making decisions and taking courses of action. Am I doing this out of fear? And I guess because we talked about things not being black and white, the, the alternative question to that is not or faith. Because I think asking is it fear or faith suggests that when we do things in faith, we're not fearful. <laughs> You can do things in faith and still be fearful. When I moved to this part of the world, I did it in faith, but I was still scared. Um, and so I guess it's just the, we don't want people to be making decisions like, oh, this is definitely the faith-based decision because I'm not scared as I make it, you know, or that kind of thing. It's more, um, what what is the driver behind what I'm doing here? Is this... Am I doing this because I think it is the appropriate way to respond to these circumstances, knowing what I know about God and knowing what I know about myself? Or um, is there something else driving me and I'm in some sort of self-preservation? And I guess we see then in verse 21 that that fast and that um, humbling himself, the, the group humbling themselves before God and seeking him was probably involved reminding themselves of the truth that God's their protector that they can trust him and that whatever happens on the journey, he's not going to leave them or forsake them and that he's with them. And I guess 
for me, it's often helpful when I'm making a decision to think, what do I know about God here? What are the truths about who God is that can inform the decisions I make? Yeah, the next section then is Ezra giving a lot of gold to the priests. Um, I guess in some ways he puts a lot of faith and confidence in these priests that they're going to be honest and they're going to um, not steal all that gold and run away. Um, and he entrusts that money into their hands. And um, yeah, the good news is by verse, um, by the end of that section, they arrive in Jerusalem. God has protected them from the hand of the enemy. And I was really struck by from ambushes by the way. So we don't know whether there was actually any ambushes that attacked them, but it, it looks like God revealed to Ezra that there were dangers. Um, I, I was singing yesterday through many dangers, toils and snares. We have already come. And that's true for us, isn't it? Often God protects us from things that we don't see and that we're not aware of. But on our journey to heaven, which I guess is a little parallel of this journey to Jerusalem, God is protecting us from the things that we see that are scary, but also from things that we don't see. So this little band of Israelites arrive safely um, and the gold's all intact. They weigh it out and it's all there. God's been really good to them and kept them very safe. Yeah, and when they arrive, arrive in Jerusalem, they immediately begin sacrificing and worshipping again don't they it's this priority setting that we saw in the last section that we looked at the chapters four five and six when the last wave of migrants came they priorities were prioritized worshipping and um, and it's the same thing again for these guys first they they worship and they do give sin offerings and burnt offerings then they delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps um and so, yeah, they're again, they're they're setting their priority from the first moment. It's a really good um, challenge, isn't it? Ezra's all the way through this. His focus is Godward first. So, yeah, he does interact with kings. He does bring messages to um, the rulers in Jerusalem. But his first priority is always God. And, um, yeah, that's a really good challenge to my heart. Is my heart set Godward first before then all the other things I need to do? in my day okay then I guess to finish what um what have been the personal challenges or encouragement from these verses for you guys I think that section where Ezra was challenged or we th we hear that Ezra really meditates on the word of God struck me I am on a flight by myself which is not my favorite thing um for a lot of hours and then it, today and I was thinking about it earlier and praying about it and my, I sort of was thinking about this passage and thought, actually, to, to take a specific psalm or a specific scripture to meditate on and to use that time, not just watching the movies where, I mean, on the way out, I'm not going to lie, I watched two because I could choose them. I didn't have to negotiate with my five children. Um, but yeah, this passage has really helped me think, let me take a psalm or something that I can chew on like the hippos on the flight back so please ask me when you see me whether I did that or not I'd like a little bit of accountability people and there's me sitting here being like oh a five-hour flight by yourself how wonderful <laughs> uh, it was a, yeah, it's a couple of things for me one was I was really challenged to think about whether um is there consistency between my talk and my walk and I think 
sometimes it's easy to think oh but you moved to West Africa absolutely your your walk is consistent with your talk but that's just the first step like in my daily run-of-the-mill life here is my talk consist is my walk consistent with my talk um I think often I would say it is generally with uh uh believe it like with um cousins like of others of other faiths here but actually in my home and with my children and my husband is my walk consistent with my talk and I think that for me is a much greater challenge that I've been ruminating I just love that word it's yeah such a geek um <laughs> that I've been pondering upon uh predominantly as we as we've been looking at this but then there's also this faith versus action tension um I'm a planner I like to have most eventualities planned for or um thought about prior to doing something so how much of that is my what's the root of that is it because I want to be able to use the the agency the human agency that God has provided for us here or is it actually it's a fear-based thing and I want to have covered every eventuality I think that's been helpful for me to think upon I think for me the thing I've been struck by listening to you guys is like we all want to be like Ezra don't we like we want to be this really wise person who can navigate the really gray areas of faith really well but I think I want to do it I want to take the shortcut I don't want to ponder on God's word I want to do it in my wisdom in my strength because that's easier and quicker. Um, so yeah, I guess the challenge for me is, yeah, am I going to spend my five-hour flight back next week um, ruminating on God's words, or am I going to sleep and watch movies? But yeah, it's just been a really good reminder that actually, you know, the foundation of Ezra's life is the word of God, and that has just borne so much fruit in his life that, yeah, I guess we'd all like to see in ours, but he had to put the hard work in and continue to put the hard work in. And yeah, walked yeah walked his journey of faith really well even though it wasn't easy at all thanks for listening everybody i hope that was helpful and uh we are back i think with the full contingent next week looking at uh chapters 9 and 10 which i think we can promise will be an interesting and lively debate bye, bye.